you start with the understanding that you already do belong, that we all belong, Mm -hmm. that we belong on an atomic level, that we belong in relationship and connection with one another, that we belong in connection through our ancestors. We belong. You're back at the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski here at Hopkins, and I'm looking at Heather Broad. Hello, Heather. Hello, Kim. You're going to want to scoot on back to episode number 177 with Heather, where we talked about interpersonal communication and dynamics. Now, Heather and I go way back. She used to be at Ohio, the Ohio State University, where she's all about talent, faculty, faculty mentoring, advancement, and engagement. Um, made a real impact at OSU and how I knew her through the AAMC, the Association of American Medical Colleges Group on Faculty Affairs. And Heather is now doing coaching. You can get her at Heather at heatherbroad.com. Again, Heather at heatherbroad.com. And because Heather and I had such a great conversation last time, um, we talked, you're really going to want to check out that episode, you know, about our life intersecting with work, inferences, assumptions, just how we kind of uh, engage with, with each other. We started talking about belonging. And I think this is a really important topic for all of us coming out of what's been going on in our lives the past couple of years. So ah, here we are, Heather. Welcome again. Thank you so much for being a part of this community. and. Why don't you just kind of like, let's, let's roll, tell everybody where you are, what's going on and why belonging is so important. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me back. It is a real pleasure um, to be able to do this again. So I had so much fun the first time around. Um, And so Kim, I'm really just hoping we can have just kind of a conversation about this because when I think about belonging, I don't have a like a a philosophy about it or an orientation toward it. It's just something that is appealing to me. It's something that is important to me. And like, honestly, I'm trying to make sense of it, um, both through my clients and then in this kind of organizational way as well. So I guess the way maybe I'm thinking about it is on the personal side of things, a lot of the people I coach, um, and you know, I primarily coach women, but I coach all kinds of people, and I primarily coach people in academic medicine, but elsewhere too. Um, I would say a lot of them don't fit a mold. You know, they're not like a, you know, a clinician educator, clean cut. It's really easy to say, like, oh, this is the, what this person does. It's people who are often one of the few women in their subspecialties, perhaps or they're the only physician scientist in their department, perhaps, um, or, you know, a lot of other ways that that kind of, I, I guess, kind of keep them outside the norm. And it can be a struggle to find your path in that direction. And then on the other side of the coin, you know, is the organizational side. And we talk a lot about DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And sometimes now we're also talking about belonging and what that means. And so, you know, when we look at who we are as people and how we navigate our organizations, our workplaces, and then how workplaces are trying to help people, you know, integrate, navigate, feel included, like I'm just really interested in that space and what what it looks like and how we approach that and then how we as 
either coaches or faculty affairs professionals or faculty development professionals? Like what's our role there? So that's kind of my preface to this conversation. Yeah. And I'm with you too. I don't, as I've been looking forward to um, our talk today, Heather, I've been thinking a lot about that too and thinking about, well, where, and and my background is sociology, gerontology, epidemiology. So I don't have, I'm sure there are psychologists and psychiatrists and other behavioral scientists maybe listening to this right now going and they could like, wow, why don't you talk about this? Talk about that. I'm thinking of the standardized tool. There's an engagement survey. Mm -hmm. Many of our institutions do these assessments where we try to tap into the sense of feeling like you're part of something. And, and we know that it's, it's, um, it's so important to our satisfaction, to our well-being, and people feeling like they're contributing and being valued. And I'll just kind of start with what you first said, this feeling, this professional belonging. And you said feeling like we're outside of the norm. And a lot of people we coach are outside the norm. And I, too, have that all the time. I can't remember ever in the nine plus years here at Hopkins and nine or 10 back at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago ever. I don't remember ever talking to a faculty member who sat down with me and said, I am the prototype, absolute vanilla norm. I'm the one who they've written all the policies for all the standards, the guidelines. Yep. I fit all that perfectly. And and then the surprise is every person who sits in front of me says, well, I'm not like everybody else. I'm a little bit different. I'm a little unique. And I feel like saying at some point, no kidding. Everybody is unique. There's not one person I've ever met who could say, yeah, blah, 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 boring, vanilla. I'm kind of, it's it's every person who, who kind of, and sometimes they say it almost apologetically. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't really, you know, I don't really fit that. So I'm kind of different. And I always try to reassure everybody's different. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a mm-hmm. wonderful thing. And that's mm-hmm. why you, you in the promotion process or as we become leaders, you amplify that, that difference and uniqueness. And then it's up to the institution to then recognize and find ways to see that uniqueness and make you feel like, yeah, we love that you're not the norm. We don't like the norm. Nothing we do is in the norm. Right. And I mean, I think you bring up such an interesting point there that so often this does come up in the promotion process, because I think that's the first time that maybe individuals recognize, you know, they don't exactly meet the criteria. And I do think some departments, institutions, you know, they're better than others about that um, flexibility to say, like, oh, this is, you know, this is how you fit. This is what we're going to emphasize or amplify, or, you know, this is what makes you so great to have in our institution. And then I feel like there's the other side um, where it's like, well, you need to check all these boxes. Mm. And how frustrating and demoralizing that can be for people who tend to be, you know, very innovative or, you know, kind of pushing the envelope a little bit, um, you know, and, and how that can even disincentivize some things that could be really beneficial to the institution. Like one of the conversations I've been having a lot lately was with uh, people who want to do things with industry, but they feel like they can't forge those great con- or those uh, great connections with industry because that then takes them away from the NIH. 
And, you know, what does that look like? And how is that stigmatized? And, and then part of it too, I think is, you know, it's likely possible. um, And it's likely going to be recognized. It's just how do you even get in front of the right people who can then really assure you of that and validate that and help you do that in the way that's going to be most beneficial for, you know, both the individual and the institution. Yeah. And you say NIH, Heather, and you're reminding me that over the decades, we always, I was taught and we learned how to, when you write the grant applications to, you know, fall in place and be very conservative with your aims, because a lot Mm -hmm. of new investigators will go nutso with, oh my gosh, I'm going to do these seven things. And I'm, because they're so, um, ambitious and have this vision. And so what do we do? We we put that wet blanket on them and say, no, dial it back. Just do just do two things. No, no, no. It, however many years you're proposing to do, it's it's the years minus one. And that's how many aims you should have. Like all this formulaic, <laughs> no step, just do it one step at a time. So what do we do? We kind of chokehold, we learn, mm-hmm. we learn to fall in place and kind of standardize ourselves, especially when we're early in our careers, uh, to to check those boxes that you're saying, that mm-hmm. we can't feel like to fit in, to meet the criteria, to uh, feel like you belong and you're part of the club. You have to act like, um, you know, act accordingly and be accordingly. Yeah. And, and, and then there's always that, right, that, that fine line of, okay, now when can I bust out of here? I'm running mm-hmm. with the pack. You know, I'm I'm part of the team, mm-hmm. but I'm I can turn on the afterburners. When can I do that? When can I do that? Mm-hmm. So that that is kind of when you're ready to like slingshot ahead, or maybe just go completely off course, off road. How how do we um, how do we nurture that? You know, mm-hmm. so I I want to like you're saying the two sides of the coin. They're too we can't go too rogue too quickly, and and yeah, going with industry and and completely dispensing with all criteria and forget NIH, that is so far out of the box thinking that a lot of reviewers and, you know, committees go, oh, oh." (laughs) going off of people's shoulders, we can't even deal with this. So how do we find that balance of encouraging personal creativity, but not too much creativity? (laughs) Where's the balance? Yeah, what is the balance? And and I guess, you know, that to me speaks to those futuristic leaders in organizations who have the ability to identify what the diversity and complexity of experience contributes. And I think sometimes we get mired in process um, instead of, you know, how do we each really bring our best selves and contribution to the fore. And how do leaders nurture that? You, you, the word tradition just popped popped in mm-hmm. my head, you know, because last night here at Hopkins, we had a wonderful celebration of whenever you're promoted to professor, there's a big celebration. Mm. So they scaled it back. It was a lovely evening at the Four Seasons here in Baltimore and um, wonderful remarks of um you know, the accomplishments of those of us who were promoted recently. And I was sitting at a table with someone who talked about tradition and how 
at Hopkins, we always had one promotion track. And then we recently did a clinical excellence promotion track a couple of years ago. But um, on the topic of, we were actually talking at the table, on the topic of making changes and going into the future. And he, he said, well, you know, I was always told that Hopkins, you know, there's a saying that's a, a hundred years of tradition unencumbered by innovation. So the idea, <laughs> and we all laughed and, but there is something to be said again, two sides of the coin, the yin yang tradition is wonderful. Yeah. Fitting in and doing things safely. Mm-hmm. There, there are reasons why mm-hmm. we have norms and rules and boundaries and expectations and guidelines and policies. And then when you realize that things are changing and people bring that different lens and framework. And if we are so hemmed in by the tradition and the rules that we don't allow the, but why, but why Mm -hmm. you can think it back to, you know, being a little kid when little children say, well, why do we do that? Why, why, why can't I, well, what was I watching or listening something on YouTube or somebody else's pod? Oh, it's a podcast. I think it was a hidden brain. And the woman was saying she and her husband during COVID, the, the little, their child was saying, um, can I make this, the cereal? Oh, she, he bought little food coloring to the cereal table and wanted to put food coloring in his Rice Krispies pretend. And she's like, no, we don't do that. Well, the husband said, the dad said, we don't do that. And he looked at his wife and said, do we? And she's like, I don't know. We can do that. So every morning then he turned his milk a different color with a couple drops of food coloring. So why can't we? And so now you're making me think of the you know, the hundred years of tradition unencumbered by progress or unencumbered by innovation, where do we welcome that, that person who is why, but why, Mm -hmm. and safely allow them to explore that creativity and have a safe place where they can feel free to express themselves Mm -hmm. while not going so far off off plane that um, it can hurt them or the institution, because we also know that you can't have such chaos where everyone's being creative and innovative and, and there's no, uh, what's the word? There's no like structure. There's no, there's no Mm -hmm. complete lack of structure, Mm -hmm. normlessness, lawlessness. That's unsettling. So that's what I'm. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you're also speaking to like, what are the characteristics of the individual that can both like modulate themselves and not die a slow death, you know, from that modulation and maintain that edge of curiosity, of innovation, persevere, have tenacity, you know, to, to move forward within the constraints of the environment, you know, kind of seeing the bigger picture and yet not being maybe dissuaded or demoralized by it. Um, but, you know, able to, to, to iterate and see the forward progress, um, and not completely lose sight of either themselves and what they really value and want to bring to the table, um, or, you know, getting frustrated with the organization and just giving up altogether. Yeah. And that's where that coaching is so valuable Mm -hmm. and having peers and peer mentoring and Mm -hmm. your, your tribe, Mm -hmm. your inner circle to say, I'm not, am I completely off the page here? Am I gone bonkers? Am I gone mm-hmm. from the end? And some, you know, your people say, well, yeah, maybe you're a little bit ahead of your time or 
you tend to get too, you know, pie in the sky. We need to rein it a little bit, but no, don't, don't lose that. You've got great ideas. It's just not now. Yeah. Rein in your enthusiasm because you tend to be, you know, a hundred yards down the field and everybody mm-hmm. else is still trying to catch up. Like what, what's going on? Where's she going? So you need to give <laughs> people a minute. So that is like what I'm thinking from perspectives of, you know, from a leadership perspective, yes, we want the diversity and its full breadth of age and ability and industry and field and specialty and uh, personality. We want that. And you want to make sure we nurture that safely and productively and channel that energy and because, you know, we know that when we coach people, sometimes you can see all that gifting and that talent. And it's, it is a mismatch in that mm-hmm. particular division, department, institution where they're mm-hmm. not in sync and the values are not aligned, mm-hmm. maybe not permanently, but just at that moment or on that topic. So, yeah, when you're uh, from the leadership position, it's to me, it's, it's complex, obviously multi-layered recognizing where can we, you know, help someone coming up to the ranks, figure out, is this time to move? Do you pull up anchor and move, move? Mm -hmm. Do you just kind of like let up the anchor a little bit and just kind of coast and hang out there a while? How how do you know when to jump? And if maybe jumping is not appropriate, but Right. All, all the motion and movement as a, from the leader. Now I'll, I'll kind of let's stick here and then let's kind of pivot to the person themselves. But for belonging to me, that's the challenge is trying to figure out, well, wait a minute after becoming clear to yeah. me that you, we've tried a bunch of different things and maybe this is not the right institution mm-hmm. for you, not the right grant application for you, not mm-hmm. the right leadership position for you. How about this? And how about that? Mm-hmm. What are you saying? Yeah, no, definitely that. Um, But that ability to even find the right leader or sponsor to make the case to. Mm. Um, And I think it's the institutional focus, you know, that you are as the individual, regardless of to whom you're speaking, that you're able to contextualize what it is that you want to do and how it has the benefit to the organization as a whole. Mm. And I think that sometimes is a missing skill. Mm. that, you know, again, and maybe it's just, you know, as the individual, you see it so clearly, but you don't know how to make the case, you know, or build the business case for it. Um, Or you just simply don't even know who's the right person who's going to be interested or inspired by this. So you're kind of barking up the wrong tree. Mm. Um, So that ability to both, you know, contextualize what it is you're doing and look at scope and, um, substance and contribution. And then as well, find the sponsor who has the, you know, similar like mindset, um, has the institutional clout or authority, um, and going about doing that in a way where you're not inadvertently stepping on toes. (laughs) You know, I think it's all very subtle and nuanced to be able to bring all of that to the fore really successfully. Yeah, you're you're right. Well, it was really you said so many really important things in there. Um, I like that segment a lot. It's that emotional intelligence to be able to recognize and mentor and coach that mm-hmm. to somebody else. Mm-hmm. It is is challenging mm-hmm. because 
when you see someone, you know, this brilliant artist on stage or performer or mm-hmm. athlete, and you see that, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, they're, they're so primed and so ready and they want to run, they want to go. And when you kind of can see, oh my gosh, um, yeah, their toes to be stepped on and you're just about to pounce on them and stomp on them. And you don't even realize it because you're frustrated maybe that you, you know, you've been told no, but it's just the wrong, it's a wrong, it's the wrong time, wrong, right, wrong twist. Um, we got to kind of tailor this a bit. So all that kind of finessing to say, okay, now go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's exciting as from the coach, from the leader, from the mentor's perspective, when you see it, and then it's also so rewarding when you see someone who gets it, when you see the person go, oh, oh, you mean Heather doesn't make the decisions. It's Heather's calling. Oh, okay, now, now I understand. Or, oh, now I see, I can understand why she's thinking that way. I hadn't really thought about the way she takes in information or makes decisions or her reason mm-hmm the change in the budgeting scenario, that appreciation for, as you say, contextualizing Mm -hmm. that when you, when you help someone to see that other, Mm -hmm. all the other elements, and then things start to click, 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 and fall into into place. It's really, um, it feels so good to Mm -hmm. know that that's, um, that it's, that it's happening. And to me, that's, uh, I'm so impatient that when I learn and have learned to be patient, and um, help others be patient. That's to me has, has been very supporting. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's almost like, you know, what you're saying, having that organizational awareness um, of, you know, what does the org chart actually look like? Um, and having that kind of influence awareness and all of those things. I mean, those are skills that are usually learned over time. Uh, you know, I don't know many residents, fellows, med students who are, you know, kind of taught in, in this. Um, I think some people maybe more intuitively gravitate toward it than others. And I think like there's a potential downside for those who maybe don't come to that naturally. And I've seen this in some of my clients, you know, like they're really ultimately at their wits end because they, they've done everything within their capacity. And they haven't gotten any green lights. And Mm -hmm. so they're just fed up. And though there's all these other paths and opportunities, they just haven't become aware of yet, haven't become exposed to yet. And then it becomes a fine line working with, you know, these individuals of like, you know, are you really, is, is jumping ship the best option for you in this moment? Or, you know, are you willing and open to trying some other ways of um, being that you haven't tried before? Mm, And Heather, that's perfect. That's exactly the tack I wanted to kind of then shift is from our perspective. So now now I'm the mentee, the coachee, the early career faculty member, the, the executive leader who is frustrated. So my obligation, what do I own in this Mm -hmm. situation? And I think yeah, you can hit some really important points here. So from our perspectives, that level of frustration, that sense of I cannot believe that I have tried 18 different things and none of it works, no green lights, I'm being told no, I didn't get that position, 
My promotion packet is not good enough. Another grant gets rejected on and on and on and on. All those rejections or mm-hmm. frustrating points. The oh, a, so part of that awareness uh, is recognizing that we're not privy to everything that's going on. So what I try to do is, you know, you don't know what you don't know thing where, yeah. where I'll hear myself even thinking and saying these things and hearing others say, well, but I did one, two, three, four, five. I did A, B, C, D, E. And then the assumptions that they're making about mm-hmm. what that means. And then realizing, well, maybe that's not that. Is there another way of thinking about that? Is there, is it possible that you don't know other, well, no, I know him. I know the, I know, I know what's going on there, but really do you? It's kind of like when you see some, you know, bad, the bad guys out there who nothing ever happens to them, you know, how come there are no consequences? Well, you don't really know what's going on. And, you know, if someone's not going to post on a, a blog necessarily, what punishments and sanctions are being, you don't really know all that stuff. Uh-huh. You don't, you're not in all the meanings of the boss. You don't know what other so that that is the what we what we should own in terms of our own sense of belonging is what patience, uh, humility, and mm-hmm. recognizing. Okay, maybe I don't know everything. Um, perspective taking, like you're, yeah. I mean, I think what you're largely alluding to there is perspective taking. Really trying to see things. And, and it's beyond empathy. You know, empathy is also, I think, a great skill here. But, you know, being able to see things from the perspective of another person. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. And that, that can be yeah. really hard, especially when you're so convicted that this is going to be good. I know it. I feel it. I've done the research. I'm an expert here. I got this mm-hmm. again. I, I keep thinking of, of the horse at the starting line mm-hmm. and the athletes who are just ready, like, let me go. Let me go. Let me go. Mm-hmm. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah. It's the bringing other people along with it. And, you know, this reminds me of a conversation I had with a client just yesterday and she was saying something, well, this is the way it's done. Like, this is the way other places do it. You know, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. This is how it's done. Like kind of period end of story. And I had to reflect back that, you know, if I were on the receiving end, not as her coach, but as, you know, her, her colleague, what I was getting from that is just a finality. And so I might go along to get along and say, oh, okay, sure. But then I would probably go out of my way to sabotage it because I haven't been bought in. I haven't been brought along with it mm-hmm. to really appreciate, you know, why and how this might affect me and what I might be feeling about it regardless of whether or not it's the right way. Mm. So I think that's, you know, a piece of it too, is how do we use our own ability to influence others? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we bring people with us into our wonderful ideas, have that broader perspective? That's a really, I really, really like that. So if I want to, let's play devil's advocate. So if I want to feel belong, like a sense of belonging that I mm-hmm. value, that i appreciated that my skills are desired, that I am a part of the team, that I matter, that I have meaning. How can I do that? And I'm thinking about uh, someone I know who recently said, a a younger woman in in college. And I said, well, go, it's Friday night. Go out, go get your friends and go out and stop studying. You know, why are you doing physics on a Friday night? 
And she said, I don't have any friends. And I said, what do you mean you don't have any friends? I don't, I don't understand that concept of just go out in the world and be a friend to somebody. Uh-huh. That's the best way to get friends is to be a friend. Be yes. And, and she, we, you know, she couldn't understand me and I, I would, couldn't understand her. Then I was mm-hmm. the realization of, all right, hang on a Kim. You know, I could go talk to, you know, a tree, literally do talk <laughs> to trees, um, different, different episode of a podcast maybe, but I could talk to anybody and I do, and it's easy for me, mm-hmm. but for her as an introvert and first time on campus after COVID, it's not as obvious as just, Hey, mm-hmm. I do. And, um, will you be my right. friend? Check this box. So that, um, but that, that to me, so back to the whole thing of if I want to feel and experience and be a part mm-hmm. of something, mm-hmm. how do we do that? Mm-hmm. What do I, what part of that should I own? If I'm feeling Heather, you know, I don't feel like I belong. I'm not valued. Nobody likes me. I'm not engaged. I'm dissatisfied. I have mm-hmm. no joy. I, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm part of this. What might you coach that person to say, coach me to say if I'm yeah. Well, I love that you just asked me that question. And um, it also leads me to this book that I've been reading and I really want to plug, um, which is Seven A Selassie's You Belong. This you is- Belong, Seven A Selassie, S-E-L-A-S-S-I-E. I've never heard of it. Yeah. This is one of the best books I have read in I don't know how long. So her perspective is that you start with the understanding that you already do belong, that we all belong, Mm -hmm. that we belong on an atomic level, that we belong in relationship and connection with one another, that we belong in connection through our ancestors. We belong and we emphasize differences um, sometimes over, you know, similarities or over celebrating what makes us difference different. And that, our lack of self-worth or self-love can often get in the way of our sense of belonging and our ability to connect with those around us. Mm. So I feel like always, you know, starting with one's self-awareness. And so as a, you know, coach, if you were my coachee, I would ask you a lot of questions about what you believed about yourself, what your values are, what you're seeing around you, you know, all those things that are influencing you pointing you in the direction of, you know, what makes you connected rather than what makes you different. And I think if we can start from there, we're in a better position than if we are just, you know, pointing out all of the differences. I I love that reminder of let's start where we on something we agree. What can, Mm -hmm. what can we agree? So Recently at church, there was a political conversation and I had to keep reminding myself, um, what do we, we all agree. Let's, can we all agree? We all agree. We all agree our, our faith. So let's number one, what do we all, we all agree the same, you know, faith construct here. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. So with that, you know, uh, understanding that, that at least kind of always centered us. That's right. That's right. That's right. We're here. We're here. We made different have differences there, but we have this foundation, similarity, connection. We are connected to each other. And I love that reminder that you already belong. You exist. Mm -hmm. We hired you. You're in the lab. You're in this department. Mm -hmm. You are a faculty member. We did hire you to be the leader. You already belong. Um, So starting from that premise, 
it doesn't assure you that it's going to be perfect, but I like that kind of change of, and it's kind of, it's sometimes I'm a couple of women I'm coaching who are saying, well, now I got this really big job and I feel like I really have to prove myself and mm-hmm. show my value. And I want to make sure they realize they made a good choice that I was the right candidate. And I see, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, but they chose you because you already are the right person mm-hmm. to prove anything. Uh, no, you did it. You're, you're because, because you are. So you, so this, this attitude of, I have to do something else or other to be part of something mm-hmm. kind of flips that upside down mm-hmm. and changes the perspective. Let's start from the fact that, no, you already do belong. You belong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are, you belong. I belong. We all belong. Our humanness makes us belong. Mm. And though, you know, I don't want to be um, like naive about it either. I mean, there are organizational forces that conspire, you know, to signal people out to bully to, you know, so so this isn't like being blind to realities of situations. And though, like the student you were talking about who doesn't have any friends to have a friend be a friend. I mean, it's, it's a similar thing. Right. And also be a friend to yourself. Like that's the starting point. Be a friend to yourself, then you can be a friend to others, and then people will be friends to you. Um, so, you know, if you're experiencing not belonging, if you find yourself focusing on difference, you know, a good place to start is simply, you know, with one's own awareness, looking inside, looking at, you know, where can I connect on a human level and build from there? Because you know, mirror neurons, all of that stuff, right? I mean, you know, we are really connected to one another. And similarly, if we go in, if I was having this conversation with you right now, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, Kim and I aren't alike at all. And she doesn't like me. And like, we, you know, it would be a very different tone to this conversation. Um, so it would be like a confirmation bias too. Yeah, would start to look for differences. Yes. If I have it in my head, that Heather doesn't like me and she doesn't approve of me and I don't belong here with her. She, mm-hmm. has a, she has a bias against me for whatever reason. Now I'm looking for facts to confirm. See, see, she just did it again. I knew it. I knew it. Yep. This is saying, let's remind myself, no, we're all about patient care. Patient care is number one, or we all agree in the science. It's all about the science. We all agree that we are loyal to this institution or to this community, always reminding and then from the leader's perspective, because like I, like you, I don't want to be naive, have blinders on, like, oh, Pollyanna-ish, that right. everything will be hunky-dory. It's all your fault if you're not feeling belonging. Right. It's our obligation, I think, as leaders, that if we see someone who is being you know, bullied or, mm-hmm. or always treated as other, mm-hmm. that's where we have to step in and own part of that culture. How, what am I doing or not doing mm-hmm. standing up for or not standing up for mm-hmm. is saying that this is all right to treat someone or, or have someone feel or believe that they are not valued. So that's yeah. also our obligation, all of our obligations, no matter yeah. where you are in the pecking order, we're all leaders just by being part of any institution, yeah, any just exactly. Practice. We all have to have those open eyes of who is not feeling like they belong and why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how can I, you know, do my best to foster that? How do I demonstrate value for others? 
How do I demonstrate inclusion? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, how do I bring others along with me? I mean, we can all do that at any stage. You know, is it in hierarchical institutions? Leaders have a lot of impact in doing that. Um, you know, I'd say an outsized impact sometimes. Um, but yeah, all of us can absolutely, like you just said, you know, look within ourselves first and bring that forward. And like Abraham Lincoln's have reminded me of that book, Team of Rivals. Wow, what a greater mm-hmm. example than invite the people you disagree with to be on your team. Mm-hmm. Talk about modeling behavior that shows she's bringing other, the other, yeah. who they are like oil and vinegar. Yeah. But recognizing that there's value to be had and everyone belongs regardless mm-hmm. of um, their perspectives that yeah. you exist. And so bring it. <laughs> oh, Heather, this has been a great conversation. And if you've enjoyed the conversation, you want to check out Heather at heatherbroad.com. That's H-E-A-T-H-E-R at heatherbroad, B-R-O-D.com. Well, Heather, it's great. We're going to have you back again. I love talking with you and um, everybody out there listening. Come back next time to the Faculty Factory Podcast. Bye. Thanks, Kim. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.